Isn't that a wonderful day? The Lord has blessed us with great weather, beautiful sunshine. Uh, we have been uh, missing you, and uh, we're just glad to be back this morning to share with you in this service. I uh, had gone through some uh, surgery while I was out. Uh, I got the Lord touched me and got well enough that I was able to go to Pennsylvania and and uh, to my son's church. They called me back. I was there three years ago to raise a half a million dollars. They got six hundred and thirty-four thousand. And I said, "Well, you got other guys that can do this." And they said, "Oh no, my board said if you get six hundred and thirty-four thousand, we're not letting nobody else come back." <laughs> so, so we were there to raise another half a million dollars. They're going to build a new sanctuary. They wanted a million dollars before they started, so that they wouldn't have a big bill, which is a smart thing. I thought that was exciting, till I came to church this morning. And then I found out, my goodness, Dick and Richard is going to give $13,000 for a new floor. <laughs> that's super. I mean, that, that's exciting to me. Uh, I, I, I'm going to take them guys along with me next time I have to go and raise any. It's always fun to, it's always fun to raise money for the Lord. Yeah, I've never been able to raise a whole lot for myself, but... But for the Lord, for the Lord, it's been an exciting thing all the, all through the years and places we've been, and uh, so it's just just great to be back in the house of the Lord. And I thought this morning, I seen all the children here, and I I thought about the little girl that kept her friend overnight, and they had a sleepover, and it was on a Saturday night, and the mother said, "Now you need to find out if she can go to church with you on Sunday because we're going to church." So she did. Well, the two little girls came to church and they sat in the pew and they got the talking, they got the giggling, got the laughing through the whole service. And the older brother kept trying to get them to be quiet. Be quiet. Can't do that. Finally, he, he just got frustrated. He went over to him and said, listen, you've got to keep your mouth shut. You're not allowed to giggle and talk while the preacher is preaching. And they said, who said so? And the brother looked back in the back and he said, you see them two fellows back there? They're the hustlers. They're the hushers, and they'll make you be quiet. Well, you know what? Uh, sometimes, you know, we have to have some hushers around because uh, things can get out of line. I want to share with you this morning, uh, and I almost, I almost jumped up a little bit ago and told Lisa, sit down and be quiet, because she was starting to tell some of the stuff I had in mind to tell this morning. <laughs> but I want, to, I want to talk about changing lives. Changing lives. In Revelations, chapter 21, clean at the back of the Bible, we hear the words. 21, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost, and a spring of life, of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and this will be his God, and he will be my son. That may pass. Changing lives in search of a change. All of us have gone through that. I, I like... Uh, I like stories, as you know. <laughs> and I like, uh, I, I like stories of hidden treasures. And I, and I came across this the other day uh, about uh, a hidden treasure. I like those stories. I'd like them better if I'd find one. But I like the stories of hidden treasures. And, and uh, according to legend, the old Wild West in the 1870s, many of you know this story, that uh, it was a well-known outlaw by the name of Jesse James. Jesse James had taken uh, uh, many, many things, did many things in life, but at one point, you know, he, he stole, his gang stole millions of dollars of gold bullion from the Mexicans, a general. The men had buried it when they got it so nobody else would steal it from them. They buried it in the mountains. And rumor had it that Jesse had scratched a code on the bucket and buried it with the picks. He buried it in the mountains, and there, uh, one source said that at his death, at Jesse's death, nobody had knew where it was. So his brother James bought a piece of ground, acreage, in the, in the Wichita, Oklahoma mountains where this was supposed to be buried. And he spent the rest of his life trying to find that gold. He died before he could find it. But in 1950, there were some men excavating and they found the bucket. On that bucket, there was a code. There were picks that was almost rotted out, buried in the same hole. But nobody to this day has ever been able to figure out the code on the bucket to find the gold bullion. And so, uh, I just want to remind Dave that if you decide to go to Wichita, Oklahoma, to try to find that gold bullion, remember there's a tithe on it. <laughs> finding a treasure. Finding something that's missing in life. And I thought about this. There are some of you that are sitting here today that are searching for something that you don't even know what it is. You don't have the slightest idea, but inside of you, in working in you, there is a restlessness. There is an incompleteness. There is something in you that you're looking for, and you don't even know what it is. But I want to tell you this morning that I believe the Scriptures can meet your deepest need. Consider today the word from Revelations, Behold, I make all things new. Wouldn't it be wonderful today? Wouldn't it be the most exciting day in your life if, if you could let God do something new in you? 
If you could go out of this place today, wouldn't it be great for you to go out changed, a changed person than you was when you came in? Changed from the inside out that you could walk out of here today. Wouldn't it be great to go home to a new marriage, an improved marriage? Wouldn't it be great to go back to your job on Monday, uh, Monday morning and, and, and go to a job that maybe you weren't all that excited about, but to be able to go to that job and feel that you're doing what God has led you to do and come home feeling good and satisfied? That would be a great feeling. You see, the change, according to our lesson in the book of Revelation, God is in the business of making all things new. He's in the business of changing lives. I like the story of the man that uh, had an old warehouse down on the far end of town. It hadn't been used in years. But somebody came along and wanted to know if they could buy it. And so the man said yes. He set up an appointment. He was walking through this old warehouse. As he walked through the warehouse, uh, the man was apologetic. Nobody had been in it for years, and the gangs around had busted the doors and busted the windows and, and wrote things on the side of the building, throwed all kind of trash in there. And the whole time he was walking with the guy that was interested in buying the building, he kept saying, now, now listen, if you buy this building, we'll put them windows back. If you buy this building, we'll take care of any structural damage. We'll clean up the mess around here. If you'll buy this building, and finally the man said, hey man, I'm not interested in the building. I'm interested in the sight. And I thought, that'll preach. God's not interested in the old building. God's interested in the sight. He builds on the sight. And He will build something new on that site. He, he don't care a hill of beans of what you have or the talents you have or what you carry with you. God said, I'm going to get rid of all that. I'm going to make you over new. I'm going to make you a different person. I'm going to make something that you can't even believe. When God, my friend, makes something new in the life, He starts with the site and builds on it. And when He begins to build on it, God, my friend, gives man new hope and new life. Give me an illustration of that. In Lystra, there was a man. You remember the Bible. You remember the man that was crippled and couldn't walk. And, and God used the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, why don't you go to Lystra? There's a man there that needs to be lifted up. And Paul saw this man that was there. And you know what he said? He said, get up. Paul looked at him and saw him there. And the man hadn't been able to walk. He was crippled. And Paul, with a loud voice, said to him, he said, I want you to know, in the name of Jesus, get on your feet. And the Bible said he instantly stood up and he walked. And I got to thinking, why did he use Paul in that way? i tell you why. Because that man went away, not as a cripple, he went away as a changed man. A man that was well, that was full. And so then I begin to think about, of course, Paul knew what it was to be a new person. Do you remember Paul? Paul used to be Saul. God not only changed him, he changed his name. Saul was the persecutor of the church. He was hated. Christians. But on the Damascus Road, God's knocked him down. Then carried him into the town. And, and then for three days he was blind. Didn't know what whatever happened to him. And then Ananias came and laid his hands upon him. And God, through the Holy Spirit, changed him. And he became the great preacher. The greatest preacher that we can find in the Bible other than Jesus. Why? Because it was a change that took place. 
You see, new teachings, new life, new hope, new direction. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about changing lives. If you go to church, my friend, if you come to Bar's Mills and you just come in the doors with your burdens and you come in with your sins and you come in with your, your awfulness about you and you walk out of this place and you get thrived for just a few hours and go back to the same old thing, it ain't done you no good. But when you come here and you allow God to bring new teachings and new feelings and new approach to your life and new confessions, you can walk out of here a changed person. That's what the gospel does for us. What is it prevents change from taking place in lives? I believe it comes down to two small voices. I've had time to sit in my chair the last couple of weeks and think about things and look about. You know what? Two small voices is all it is. Two small voices that comes to your conscience. Two voices that speak to every one of us in our waking hours. The first voice tells you that you're too good to change. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I pay my bills. I, I don't fight with my neighbor. I, I mean, I'm a, I, I really am a pretty good guy. This is what you're told. You, you, you recognize that you are not all that you should be or could be. Your families are not all they should be or could be. Your relationships are not all that they should be. But, you're not really ready to pay the price for change. And so what do you do? You cope. You know you're not right. You know you're not feeling good. You know that life isn't everything it ought to be. But you just cope with it. You're getting by. Let the worst of the world change to accommodate you. When you could change and have a great time. After all, you know, we had this idea, I'm a pretty good guy. I thought about Michael. Sadler tells a story about a teen that was on the beach. You know, this time of year, you know, Easter break. He was down on the beach with the rest of his friends. He got out in the water. And, and, they, and, and all of these friends around, this boy began to struggle. He was going to drown. He was going down. And this lifeguard saw him, went through the crowd to get him. And when he got the boy to the beach, he said, Son, you knew you were drowning. You knew you were going down. Why didn't you cry out? He said, What my friends think. What would my friends think? You know what? There are some of you that have difficulties in your life. You're struggling. You're having a problem. You can't seem to get over it. You seem to have this thing that's working on you. And you keep working and keep working. But you won't cry out. You won't talk to anybody. You won't talk to the youth director. You won't talk to mom and dad. You won't talk to somebody that could help you, the preacher. You see, you see, well, I don't want them to think that I'm a bad person. You know what I'm talking about. I'm too good. I'm too good. You know, I'm okay. I'm an okay guy. You see, young people and all, some of you have a voice that's saying with you, I know I need change, but I can't ask for help. I can't ask. What would my friends think? Some of you have a voice that's saying to you that change is for other people. It's not for me. I'm good. I'm strong. I have the ability. I'm capable. So you miss the joy of life because you listen to the voice that says, you're just pretty good. There's a second voice that I find is probably the one most of you probably thought I was going to talk about. There's another voice that says, you're too bad to change. One says you're too good. The other says you're too bad. 
Too bad to change. I wouldn't ask you to lift your hand, but I wonder how many of you have ever bought a self-help book. I wonder how many of you have ever gone on a diet. I wonder how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution. Why have they failed? Why, why haven't they worked out? Ever stop to think about that? What is it that defeats many of you or many of us from trying to have a meaningful life? Isn't it that small voice? That small voice that says, you can't do it. They still told you that this morning. You can't do it. You haven't got what it takes. You've never seen anything through to completion. You're irresponsible. You're a bum. You'd never make it. Some of those voices says to you that you're either too good or you're too bad. But I'm here to tell you this morning that some of you are, are being told somewhere that little voice is saying you don't have to what it is to change. You don't have the power to change. You don't have the desire to change. You can't make it. There's no use for you to try. I want to tell you something. That is a lie of the devil. Because God said in His Word, I came to make all things new. Now what we need to hear is the voice of God that's saying to you, Behold, behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make you my sons and daughters. That's what the Scripture is saying. When you come to Him and confess to Him and, and commit to Him, He changes you completely. You know, when I was in school a number of years ago, and then after I got out, you know, the college followed you along. And we had what we called the inside-out singers. Have you ever heard of them? It was a great group that came out of Texas, out, out of the Gulf Coast Bible College back then. And you know, they, they were. They had a lot of influence. But you see, their idea was they were changed from the inside. You know, you can change the outside all you want. You can comb your hair. You can get it perm. You can get your hair colored. You can wear the best clothes. But my friend, if you don't change the inside, it don't make a bit of difference. You see, we need to be changed from the inside out. You're important to God. I want you to know that today. Every one of you are important. If you are the only person on this face of the earth, I want you to know that Jesus would have died for you anyway. If you'd have been the only person. That's how important you are to Him. He cares about who you are. I thought about this. A story told of an Englishman. had a beautiful estate. Large estate along the ocean front. And one day, he and his daughter climbed went for a walk and climbed to the top of the hill. And he said to his daughter as they were up on the top of the hill, he said, Honey, he said, look down. Now I want you to turn and look to the right. And then I want you to look to the left. Then I want you to turn around and look behind you. And he said, Dorothy, do you realize that God loves you just like just like I love this piece of ground. He loves you no matter where you are. No matter how what's the surrounding is, God loves you. He cares about you. And she looked at her daddy and said, Daddy, if God loves me from every angle, then we're sitting in the middle of God's love. We're sitting in the middle of it. 
She said, Daddy, do you realize we're sitting right in the middle of, no matter how high, no matter how wide, no matter how deep, no matter how brown, living in the middle of God's... Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live and realize we're living in the middle of God's love? There's nothing you can do that God will cease to love you and care about you. Now listen to me clearly. I'm not saying He approves it. I'm saying He loves you in spite of it. Because He's trying to send His Spirit to tell you, you can change and I can make you new. I can take care of that if you allow me to do it. Well, let me tell you this. What's the difference would it make if you really believed living in the middle of God's love? God loves you today and wants to make your life new. He wants to make it totally over. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have that happen? You know what I believe today? I believe there are three things that God's trying to say to each one of us. He wants us to realize that there are three things that He wants. First of all, that He wants you to have a new confidence. You know, the hardest thing to deal with people is, and I'm sure God has this problem with us all, confidence. When God said, I want you to do something, and you say, you don't have any confidence. You say, well, God, you, you must be talking to somebody else. I can't do that. I don't have the education. I don't have the ability. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. You know, we make all... You know, God's trying to give you confidence. You see, the Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're looking at a guy who never had confidence as a young... And when I started growing up, I didn't have confidence. When, when God called me to preach, I thought, you, you've got to make a mistake somewhere along the line. And I can remember the saints saying, if God called you, you obey God's call. It took me a while to build confidence to believe that God could actually use me. It had nothing to do with who I was. It was who He is in me. You see, we need to have confidence. Then there's a second thing. Not only confidence, we have to have a new perspective. And then we have to have a new dream. Let me look at those briefly. What a dynamic change it would take place in your life if you had a new confidence. If you had a confidence in yourself. If you could believe, with God's help, I can do all things. Wherever God leads me, I'll go. Wherever God wants me to work, I'll work. You've got to have that confidence. And then you must have a confidence in God, in His Word. If Jesus said it, I've got to believe it. I've got to have confidence to believe that God will do this. Let me give you an illustration. The last two or three days, last week was a horrible time for my wife. Went to a dentist to have some dental work. It didn't work. Come home, sore, hurting. Left here on Thursday after visiting and on our way home, we got bad and called a dentist to see if we get in the next morning. And, and of course, when we got home, the message was there. We didn't, he gave her own number. He got her home number. We got there. She called him and he said, well, I'll come back in. So that dentist came back in on Thursday night and worked on her. We thought that solved the problem. But it didn't. All day Friday, she was miserable, pain, hurting. Called to see if we get dentist in. He wasn't in, but he see somebody else. He went to see another dentist in the same shop. He looked at it. He sent her back home. She still had problems up all night. Finally, called him after six o'clock in the morning. Thought about, well, I better call him because if he goes out of town, he may not be able to tell us what to do. 
You know, Dennis got out of his bed and came to that shop, said, I'll meet you there in a half hour, and took care of her. I'm going to tell you something. When she walked out of there with that all cut and all them stitches in there, I thought, Lord, she's going to have this problem for all next week. This is going to be a miserable time for her. I want you to know she slept through the night last night. She said this morning, if I can go, and I'm, I, these things are pretty good, I think I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to just sit here. I'm going to tell you, when I looked down in that mouth, I could not believe the change from yesterday to today. You know why? Because I had confidence and you had confidence and you prayed and that God would take care of that need. I'm going to tell you something. He's working. But you've got to have confidence. You've got to believe that God's going to do what He said He's going to do. What's the difference if you could wake up in the morning and say, truly, I mean from your heart and your mind, truly, this is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Now, we know a lot of people that raise that question and they say that, but they don't live it. I see people saying that, uh-uh. You know, this is the day the Lord made. I'm going to be rejoicing and be glad in it. And they're as sour as, as pickles, you know. They just never earn a smile, no happiness, no joy. You know what? We've got to realize that we've got to believe that. I rejoice and be glad if you could live openly and honestly with the belief that He is with us. You may not feel adequate, but He is adequate. I'm never adequate, but God is adequate. God will take care of those needs. You can start each day with a positive outlook, God is making me into a new person. God is doing something new in me. He gives me new confidence. Well, you see, not only confidence, but He gives us a. I'm going to hurry on, but we're going to a new perspective. You know, you know the perspective of how we look at things. One of the greatest gifts we can receive is the ability to step back in our lives and be realistic. To step back and look. It's so tempting to be defeated by the inner voice that tells you, I can't. There's an inner voice that says, you can't do that. You, it's not impossible. That's impossible. It's so common for us to exaggerate. When something happens that's minor to God, that's minor that He can take care of, we exaggerate it. It's like the whole mountain fell on us. By the way, He moves mountains. Did you know that? So even when you feel it's a mountain, He's going to move it. You see, we exaggerate the difficulties that confront us. How often do we feel this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me? I have to confess, I have said that. But I have found that as I live through it in trusting God, that it was only a minor, temporary setback. God hadn't forgotten me. He was there all the time. God helps us to develop a new perspective, a perspective that allows us to reflect rather than react. Let's look at reflection. When you look at reflection, you see something that was. You see something that, that, that in that glass. That's why the Bible says we, we see things as, as it, through a glass. It's dark. It's dingy. But in, in the clear, God reveals it all to us. We need to have a new perspective. Man tells about visiting England on a tour with his wife. While they were there, they decided they would go to the church that is there for the writer Shakespeare. It was amazing, and I read the story. I thought it was just kind of unusual, you know. He said when he and his wife went into that church building where Shakespeare is buried, he said there was an usher at the door that handed him a piece of paper. 
On that piece of paper it says, we ask that you walk around, but please remember, you're on holy ground. He said, be reverent. Behave. Restrain from speaking. And if you really want to see the glory of this church, look up. I know what he was talking about. He was talking about the great paintings that was on the ceiling. But I think differently. I think what he was really saying is, is that when we get in holy ground, we begin to look around at things, we need to look up. That means we just need to pray a little more. We need to look to God. Trust God. God will take care of our needs. That's what he was talking about. Pamphlet said specifically, calling to that ceiling. We need to have not only a new perspective and a new confidence, but I want you to know that God gives a new dream. A new dream. Some of us need, need to have a new dream. Quit looking at the things it was. The great extent we are shaped by our dreams. We really are. You know, when, when, I, when I started in ministry, I can remember I had a dream. I had a dream that someday, someday, somebody who didn't know me very well would actually call me to be their pastor. I had a dream someday I would pastor a church. I didn't care where it was. I didn't care what size it was. I didn't care what the people Work what did. I just had a dream. God, you called me. Give me a people to work with. And I kept dreaming. And when I got into those churches, I dreamed of the things we could do together. I put the challenge out and the people did it. I, I dreamed dreams. I dreamed about what God's work could be and how, how we could reach people and what we could do to reach people. You see, sometimes we lose our dream in the church. We're living off the dreams of the past. We're dreaming, we're living off the dreams of those saints that I visit in Shadin now that's telling me how it was at Bars Mills way back when. Well, what's about your dream today? What are you dreaming about? You know, I thought about that. Dreams shape us. Most people get out of life exactly what they dream or they desire. Whatever you desire, that's what you're going to get. It kind of reminds me, for example, you've got a young man that's going to be a musician. And, you know, I think about this because when I pastored in the South, my guitars, we, we had them way back there 50 years ago, you know. I mean, down there, if you came in with a guitar, you'd sit up on the platform. We had three or four up there sometimes. They'd just strum along. Some of them I'd like to pull the plug on because they weren't on key. But, but they all wanted to play along in the service. You get a young guy that's a, he's, he's got a dream. He wants to be a musician. And so his mom says, okay, we're going to get you a teacher and you've got to practice. Well, you know, being a musician is a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to get up here and play these things. But you've got to practice. You've got to take a lesson. Well, I really don't know that I have, want to take that kind of time. I just want to be a musician. I, I don't know that I want to go take a lesson. I don't know that I want to practice for an hour, an hour and a half every day. I just want to be a musician. You see, but then what he's really saying is, is that I'd like to be a musician, but I don't have to work for it. But then he hears that there's a, there's a teacher that moves to town that's a wonderful teacher, a great musician. Three blocks from where he lives. Why don't you knock on the door? Why don't you call him? 
Jiffy, take you up as a student. You want to be a musician? Here's your opportunity. It's right there. Bob's put it three blocks away from you. Well, I don't know. He probably wouldn't take me. I'm probably not good enough. He probably wants people that really know how to do music. And so he makes one excuse after another. What this kid is saying is, I want to be a great musician, but I want to avoid work, and I want to avoid rejection. How many of us as Christians live that same life? We want to be great for God. We want God to do wonderful things. We want to be able to say, Lord, I know that I'm doing it, but you know what? We don't want to work. And we're afraid to say, uh, God spoke to me about this because we're afraid of rejection. How about you? Do you know yourself well enough to know the deepest desire in your heart? Some of you may have a desire to want to be liked a little more. Some of you may want to have that desire to be respected by your colleagues. What's your deepest desire? What is the greatest dream you have? Wouldn't it be great, my friend, for for you this morning, wouldn't it be great to be set free from everything that bonds you? To be set free to become what God really wants you to be? I want to share a story in closing this morning. I know some of you young people don't know, but if you go to my house, you probably find some because I think my wife bought them. But there was a TV show years ago, kind of a crazy thing, called Hee Haw. <laughs> you remember Hee Haw? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there was a girl on that show, that Hee Haw, whose name was Lulu. Roman. What a name. But it fit the show. Lulu Roman grew up in an orphanage. In that orphanage, she tells about how that every time a car came to take one of those children, adopt them or take them to their home, and it drove out the lane, she felt rejection. Nobody wants me. There was a reason. Because you see, Lulu had a problem. She, she had a little bit of a physical problem. One of the, one of the things she had, she, you know, was a, a thyroid problem. And because of not having the medication for it, she began to gain weight. And when she began to gain weight and got a little heavier than the rest of the kids in that orphanage, she became the one they picked on all the time. They made fun of her. Nobody cared about Lulu. Lulu felt as though that nobody cared. She started taking drugs and escaped the pain and the loneliness and the rejection. In fact, when she was high, when she even even did the addition, where they checked her to put her on the show of Hee Haw. But after she got onto the show... And when the show became successful, she made more money, and she felt that rejection. And so what did she do? She got more heavily into drugs. And she couldn't hardly live without the drugs. She was taking drugs until finally the hee-haw director said, you're going to have to go, Lulu. We can't have you on this show. We can't have you here. You, you're, you're out of the scene. We're going to write you out. And about the time they wrote her out, she found out she was pregnant. She tells about in her loneliness, low self-confidence, 
God, I've got a child. I don't even know whose it is. I've got drugs that I can't afford. And she said, I just couldn't figure out what I was going to do in this situation. And finally, the baby came. And when the baby came, as it does most of the time with druggies, little Damon was suffering because of the drug addiction of Lulu. And the doctor said to her, there's no way that this baby's going to make it. This baby's not going to live more than a week. She said, I looked at my little baby in the hospital. I laid on that bed. She said, I didn't know who God was. I didn't know nothing about God. But I looked up and I said, dude, if you are real and you love me or love my baby, you got to save my baby. Three days later, the baby taking a turn to the good. She was released from the hospital, took that baby home. Little Damon. But she still didn't know what she would do. And a friend from the orphanage that was adopted out, that had been raised up with Lulu, her name was Diane. Diane had gone to a home that was Christian. She had been converted to Jesus Christ. She heard about Lulu and heard about the baby. She made every effort she could to go and visit her. She went to Lulu and she began to tell her what Jesus could do, how He had changed her life. She said, I don't want to hear about it. Diane wasn't like most of us. Diane didn't let that drop. She kept going. Until finally she made the third trip and she said, Lulu, I'm telling you what Jesus did in my life. He changed me and He can change you. You've got to listen. In the brokenness, Lulu had nowhere else to turn. She listened to Diane. And as Diane began to share the Gospel with her and tears streaming down her face, Lulu felt something on the inside. And Lulu confessed her sins to Jesus. And He changed her life. And she says in her testimony, instantly God took away the desire for drugs. Instantly God took away the nicotine. Instantly God took over my life. And I feel great. And she was hired back to on hee-haw. She used her testimony the rest of her life to tell people how Jesus can change lives. I'm here to tell you this morning, if He can do it for Lulu, He can do it for you. Quit running through life listening to the wrong voice. You're not too good to get saved. You're not too bad to get saved. Because God's love surrounds us. And He wants every one of us to come to Him. When discouragement comes, instead of letting the devil tear you up, bring it to God. Jesus cares. He's compassionate. He wants to touch lives. And He wants to touch your life today. I've asked our musicians to sing a special song this morning. And we're going to sing that song. Because... I believe God wants to change lives. Now, you may have been a Christian a long time. You may have been serving the Lord. You may have been in the church a long time. But I'm here to tell you today that no matter what your situation is, if you're not happy in it, Jesus is able to change it. He's able to take care of that. I mean, we all have Him. 
Well, I have difficulties. That's, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have difficulties. But you know what? The difference is we have one that we have confidence in. We have one that we know has said in His Word, I have come to change lives to make you anew. You have had a lot of new cars through the years. Started off an old 47 Plymouth with a rotted out back seat on the floor. Now, I'm going to tell you something, clean cars. I mean, you know, I, I'm serious. I mean, I've had some old, 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 old cars. And I, every year I'd get something. And, and it took me a lifetime to buy a new car. And then when I bought it, I thought, why did I buy a new one? I got all this payment. I should have bought the old one. It run just about as good. All you got to do is change it, fix it up. God's in the business of fixing lives, not destroying them. And He wants to change you today. And I'm going to ask you to stand with us this morning. I don't know what your need is. Uh, you know, it may not be something very, 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 very outlandish, but if you have that desire, if you have that voice speaking to you this morning, that's saying, I want to do better. I want to be different. Why don't you obey God? Let Him meet that need this morning. Will you do it? Let's say.